Hi, I'm Eric, the host of Layman and Lexicon, a show about amateur biblical translation. I'm neither a scholar nor a pastor, so take nothing I say as gospel. Instead, come with me as I explore these texts as a lay translator. All right. So, my husband reminded me that I have not done a new episode for a while, and while I didn't have a planned schedule for doing this podcast, it was more something I was going to approach as I found interesting verses. It has been, well, at least over a month since I did a new episode, so I'm going to look at uh, a verse that I translated a while ago. Now, when I started doing this translation project, what it was, was I was just doing a translation of John 1, 1, well, not John 1, 1, John chapter 1, um, and I was just going to do this as something to help uh, revive my Greek study during the pandemic. Um, And then that eventually evolved into this podcast. Now, I should make it clear, like, there are interesting bits that are interesting and fun to translate and explain to people several places in John chapter 1, but not every verse has something very interesting that's new or weird possibilities in translation that I I normally like to dive into. Um, A lot of verses are just very straightforward and easy to understand in the Greek. Like, I would say probably you know, 80 to 95% of the verses in the New Testament are just very straightforward. Um, so, and, and that being said is I don't know what, well, I've read the New Testament before, or at least the entirety of the King James version of the New Testament before. Like, I don't know from a Christian perspective what is going to be really interesting. Um, so I'll, I'm going to dive into what I think is really interesting. Um, And I was just dusting off some of my old translation notes that I did last year. And I was looking at John 118. Um, I'm just going to start by reading the King James translation. Uh, Here it is. Uh, No man hath seen God at any time. Only the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. So, what is interesting about this verse is the word that is translated in the King James Version as bosom. In the Greek, it is klopon. It has a very long list of meanings. Uh, klopon can mean bosom as it is translated here. Uh, it can also mean lap. It can also mean fold of cloth. It can also mean womb. It, in general, means the space between the chest and the lap. Um, and so it, it, I, it was really interesting looking at this verse and saying, well, how fun would it be if we described uh, God as having a womb? Now, that God is generally described in masculine terms. So while I don't necessarily want to assume a gender of God um, or that God has any gender, uh, I know that, you know, the Greek word for God is masculine. Um, You know, the 
way God is discussed in most English translations of the Bible is masculine. I'm sure you know, there's a lot, very long history of God being masculine. And so you don't typically think of men having wombs. And in the Greek, I thought to myself, well, surely there's probably, you know, the Greeks, they were very, I would say that their language was very sexist. Uh, they probably didn't have an idiom for a man having a womb. And then, and then I remembered Zeus. Oh boy, Zeus. So Zeus, of course, you know, the king of the gods in, in Greek mythology, uh, he is recorded as being pregnant at least twice in, in, you know, the various forms of Greek mythology. Um, of course, Athena springs from his head. But also we get the story of Dionysus being sewn into his thigh. Um, this one actually took me a bit of time to track down some research on. Um, I ended up buying a copy of a Loeb Classic Library, which is just a series of classic literature from Greek and Latin that is bilingually uh, published by, I think, Harvard Press. Yes, Harvard Press. Um, and so right here, so like basically one page is the Greek and the opposite page is an English translation. Um, so I got one of these so I could examine a passage from the Dionysia. I don't know. You know what? There's probably a Greek title in this book to give you a Greek pronunciation. Dionysiakon. Oh, okay, cool. That's how you would say that in Greek. Anyways, it's about the god Dionysus. And uh, it relates the myth of Dionysus being born from Zeus's thigh. It's very just paraphrased. Now, what's interesting about this book is that it's written in the 5th century CE. Um, so well into the time that Europe is Christianizing. Um, I think the 5th century might even be post-Roman. Um, I can't remember if Rome... Well, it's written in Greek, so I don't know where the author... Of, uh, so the author of this book is Nonus. I do not know enough about his biography to know if he's from the Eastern Empire or the Western Empire. At any rate... My lack of understanding of history of the fall of the Roman Empire aside, uh, <laughs> uh, this is, you know, very late in the writing of classical literature, especially pagan classical literature. In fact, I read a little bit about uh, this author's uh, biography. Uh, he did at some point in his life convert to Christianity. It's unclear if he wrote this before or after converting, um, he does actually write a sort of paraphrase of the Gospel of John, which was interesting to find out while doing this translation. Um, because uh, this author, Anonis, actually ends up using 
the word clop-on, which I'm investigating here to describe uh, to describe some of uh, what's going on with Dionysus. So in book nine of this book, um, we we get some of what we're talking about. Uh, and it's really interesting because um, Dionysus is described in this book as bursting from his mother's clop-on. And you would assume that would mean bursting out of the womb. The word can mean womb, among other things. Um, the translator that gave me the English version here that I'm reading out of this lobe is translating clop on as lap. I mean, when a child's born, you know, the 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 birth canal is down between the laps, so I can see that being a plausible translation. I also see womb, you know, bursting out of a mother's womb in this sort of dramatic sense. Seems really like a very dramatic, you know, dramatic uh, translation of the word. I want to translate klopon here as womb, but the translator of this lobe translates it as lap, and I'm thinking that maybe. They're translating it as lap because another word for womb is also gastri, which is also used in this same passage. Now, when you are writing English literature, it is good form to change up your terminology if you're doing literature. Not if you're not being technical, right? It's good form to change up your terminology to kind of give some flavor. So you might use some synonyms to um to describe uh so that you're not too re you know so you're not being too repetitive in your words i don't know if the author cuz i've been told that repetition in greek composition is actually really i don't know if it's important but it's not considered bad style to be repetitive in your terms um here, though, I, I don't know if the author is interchanging gastrian clopon to like be synonyms and just kind of spice up the you know, the the literature, or if he is trying to use clopon differently to mean lap versus gastri to mean womb. At any rate, in this book. Uh, Zeus is described as having a womb. He does use the word gastri specifically, despite... <laughs> so here's the thing. I would have assumed, like, if clopon can mean lap, and gastri specifically means, like, gut, right? It's like gastrointestinal. Like, that's where that word... It means stomach, right? That's what gastri means. Um, so Zeus is described as having a gastri in his thigh, uh, which they put Dionysus into uh, because Dionysus emerged from his mother's womb not fully developed. Uh, and Zeus... Yeah, so, so... So we use the word gastri here to describe a man's womb, though the word clopon and gastri seem to be being used interchangeably in the passage. And so... I think it likely that a Greek encountering the word clopon in the Gospel of John to describe a place 
that the Son of God is residing, they would understandably see that and think, womb. Um, now, I should note that, and I want to poke the biggest hole I can into this theory, is that in places where the New Testament is quoting the Septuagint, and in the Septuagint itself, there are places where we talk about the bosom of Abraham, and the word bosom in those passages is also clop-on. And so I don't want to assume that necessarily that John intended for us to see the word clop-on here. Now, those passages were in like Matthew and Mark and Luke. Um, I didn't run into those pa- They probably, I don't know specifically if they are in John. For whatever reason, I found examples of the those quotations in the other Gospels, but I didn't find them in John. If anyone does know where those are in John, let me know. I would love to find out. Again, the email just for this podcast is laymaninlexicon at gmail.com. I check that periodically, usually around the time that I'm preparing to do uh, new episodes. Anyways, so for fun, I decided to render my own translation of this verse as uh, with the word kloppa being translated as womb, just to kind of see how that feels and what that does with Christian theology. I don't know that it does a lot. The idea that a masculine god has a womb is certainly interesting. The idea that an agendered god has a womb is certainly interesting. The idea that God is neither masculine or feminine, as I know a popular modern concept, I don't know the history of that concept. I know that giving God a specific gender, like a lot of people object to that on the terms, on the grounds that it sexualizes God. Um, I don't fully follow the discourse of that in Christianity. But here's my translation No one has seen God ever. God's only child being in the womb of the father that man exp- uh, that man expands expounds expands that man expounds in full so um it's interesting now i had a friend i shared this with that pointed out that the word i used for being sounds like the son is constantly in the womb of the father I don't know if this was getting to some sort of like Trinitarian uh, concepts. I don't know that the Trinity was fully developed uh, at the time that the Gospel of John was being written. I am under the impression that, again, the Gospel of John was one of the last books of the Bible to be written. Um, And my computer screen just fell asleep and I can't read my notes. Okay, here we go. Um... So I don't know when the, you know, precisely when this is being written and what the, like, what was considered, like, there wasn't, okay, in the first and second century uh, CE, there wasn't really what we call Orthodox Christianity yet, Um, though Orthodox uh, concepts were developing alongside other branches of Christianity and eventually what we call Orthodox Christianity wins out in in Europe uh, and around the Mediterranean. 
Um, I understand that like you get um, non-Orthodox Christianity in other parts of the world, like in India and in parts of Africa, um, that kind of developed separately from Catholicism and eventually the Eastern Orthodox branches of Christianity. Um, so, but I don't know. So, but the, like the, what I'm trying to get at here is that the Trinity is very, is not very well established, you know, in or is probably not very well established at the time that John is writing the gospel of John, uh, in the late first century or early second century. Um, that being said is that it is probably very well established in the fifth century when this book on Dionysius is being written. Um, now I, I kind of said, I kind of digressed there quite a bit. Um, so I shared this passage of translation with a friend who happens to, I don't know what type of Christian he is. He's some sort of Christian, um, but just finds these alternative translations really interesting at any rate. He noted that I translated um, the term, which is in the, you know, the phrase that is translated from um, the Greek ha-on. Um, so we've got the one being. Uh, so we have, you know, being in the womb of the Father. So this sort of has a sort of like habitual um, connotation here. And that is just because own here is a... Um, it's a participle and participles are always kind of translated as this sort of like habitual well not always a present participle is generally translated with a sort of habitual nature um, so we've got this you know present participle being being in the womb of the father it's as if the, the, the son of God or the child of God is somehow always in or part of God um rather than at, at, while at the same time the child of God uh, is able to expound the existence of God in full according to this uh, uh, verse. Let's see, I have some other notes here. Oh, yeah, the I did want to let you know that the word clopon is generally translated into Latin as sinus. Um, and sinus, now you're all probably aware uh, that sinus, you know, what your sinuses are in your head, at least have an idea of them. They're the cavities in your skull around your, you know, teeth and nose and so forth that produce mucus, they get infected and inflamed, you get a sinus headache, right? Okay. So what a sinus is in Latin is basically just an empty space or a cavity. Um, now, I am not versed in Latin. I studied Greek. I had some plans to study Latin, but I ended up not continuing my university studies uh, before I could get to taking Latin. Um, and so while I know a little bit of Latin, usually what I learn about Latin is I see that a Greek word can be translated into a certain Latin word because my lexicon always, 
likes to give, oh yeah, this is the most common Latin word that is translated from this Greek word that you're looking at. Um, and then I look up the Latin word. And so sinus, it just means a sort of cavity, um, which then uh, refers me again to like an empty space inside the body, which to me means womb again. Um, but again, the Greek is not... So Latin and Greek, like while there are traditional tr ways to translate certain words between Latin and Greek... It's never been perfect. There's no Latin words that fully take on the all the same meanings of all the Greek words that they're trying to translate. And this is a problem with translation in general, is that usually a word will have a lot of meanings, and the meanings in the language that you're trying to translate into, not all of the meanings are captured in, say, the language of the translation. So... Translating clop-on, like I said, it has a lot of meanings, anywhere from bosom to lap to womb. Um, and sinus, an empty space, um, doesn't fully capture all of the meanings of clop-on. Uh, that basically wraps it up, though. I just think it's interesting what you can do with these translations here. I, again think Klopon probably actually does mean bosom in this context. However, exploring the way a Greek reader might approach this text if they're not versed in, say, Jewish scripture, because I feel like the translation Klopon kind of does uh, rely on an understanding of how Klopon is used in, in the uh, Septuagint and in other Jewish scripture. Um, like uh, a pagan Greek would see this and probably actually think that God has a womb um, that the child of God is either in or coming from. So that is the main thrust of this particular uh, episode. I hope you like it. Again, if you have recommendations for things you would find interesting for me to translate, you can send those recommendations to laymanandlexicon at gmail.com and I'd be happy to take a look at any verses or you know, maybe a set of like four or five verses that you'd like me to look at at a time that are of interest. Because what I really want to do with this podcast is look at doing translations and a bit of research on things that listeners would find interesting. And while I can say, yes, I find this weird word clop on in the verse eight, uh, verse 18 of John 1 to be really interesting, I don't know what. Um, a general Christian audience or non-Christian. I mean, my audience isn't specifically Christians. I'm not a Christian. Um, I would hope this podcast would be approachable to non-Christians, though I also know the interest group is probably Christians. Um, so, but anyone that has a question about doing a translation of any particular interesting passage in the New Testament, um, I'd be happy to take a look at that here uh, for you and do an episode on it. Uh, but until next time, thanks again for listening to Layman and Lexicon, and I hope you all uh, a good day.